Our first lesson this evening is from St. Paul's second letter to Timothy, the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We write the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants and we have only done what was our duty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We confess. 
In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. I'd like to reread a few verses from the gospel lesson, Luke 17. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Jesus challenges us with a very big question. We live in a world that does not devote itself, has no sense of duty to God at all. And the question that I want to raise initially with everyone this evening is, what, is, what effect is that having on you? What effect does that have on me, my relationship to God, and my relationship that I have with other people? If I'm surrounded by people that mock others and make fun of them, am, am I tempted to do the same but just to a lesser degree? If I'm surrounded by people who do not worship or follow our Lord's words in the book of Hebrews, do not neglect the gathering together, and then find myself worshiping only a few times of a year and feel comfortable about that. Am I being affected by people who are dishonest, people who cheat? And then I find myself doing some of the same things, just not as bad as they are. Duty, dedication, devotion to God. Sometimes it seems as though we do just enough to be a little bit better than those who have no duty. No, ded no dedication and no devotion to God. This is the temptation of focusing on the least. What is the least that I have to do to graduate? The least I have to do to stay healthy. There's even a book by the title, What is the Least I Have to Believe and Still Be a Christian? All these things are flirting with disaster. Who wants to fly on an airplane that has the least amount of fuel to get to the destination? Or wants to go under surgery with a surgeon with the least amount of training and the least preparation for that surgery. Or take your car to a mechanic to fix the brakes who will do the least necessary to make them right again. The same is true in our spiritual life and in our life of faith. Jesus told a parable about this, the parable of the ten bridesmaids. There were five who did the most and there were five that did the least. That is, they took as little oil as needed. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they ran out, they had to go buy more, and they missed the wedding celebration. The Lord always calls us to the highest duty, a higher duty. So I've titled the sermon this evening, A Faith for a Higher Duty. He's called us not to do as little as possible or not to believe as least amount as necessary, but to do all and to believe all. And we might ask ourselves, what things might we be struggling with in our own personal life when it comes to the Lord's call to duty? Is it difficult to get up and come to worship, praying, striving to do the right things? Or to get up on Monday morning 
go to school or to go to work, or turning off the TV, the computer, or the video game to do chores or homework? Or what about my duty to say to someone, I'm sorry, or I forgive you? This was specifically what caused the disciples to say, increase our faith, because they realized what a difficult duty that was. What about our duty to say no to urges, to shop too much, to drink too much, to eat too much, to play too much? Or our duty to think good thoughts about others rather than to have a harbor in our mind for hatred, dislike, jealousy, vindictiveness, and so on? What about the difficulty in our duty to help and encourage others rather than to be demanding and to be a drain on them? Well, the difficulty is real. And we would all answer, I think, to those questions, yes, in some ways or another, absolutely yes. We fall short of these duties that God expects of us. But what Jesus is really saying here is, I don't want you to follow the way of the world, which shirks and blames and says it owes nothing to God or to others, but rather God and others owe everything to them. God wants us rather to say, increase our faith. Rather than lower the bar, the Lord calls us to ask God's help to lift us up so that we can cross over that bar. Why didn't Jesus, when these disciples came and and asked him, increase our faith, why didn't he just say, okay, here you go, here's some more faith? He didn't do it that way. He didn't say it that way, but he was actually giving them what they were asking for. And he does it by describing what faith is, the power of that faith, like a mustard seed, even something so little, so small, and yet it can rip a mulberry tree out of the ground by its roots. And it does so without complaining. It does so without needing to be thanked. Jesus doesn't say, I will give it to you. He doesn't need to say it. He is just doing it right in front of their very eyes and right in front of our very eyes as well. When Jesus went on his mission all the way to the cross and when he was in Gethsemane and praying, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was in in many ways saying the same prayer that he wanted to hear from those disciples. Lord, increase our faith. And God did increase that faith for him. And he is doing that through Christ for us as well. So we're here this evening to have that faith increased so that we cannot lower the standard of holiness, but see how high it is and with God's grace to be raised up toward it. We're not here to impress anyone. We're not here to check off some task or to get some tips for self-improvement. We're not here to praise the big guy in the sky in order to make ourselves feel a little bit better. We are here this evening, like those disciples, to get this gift, this greatest gift of faith. Faith in Jesus, in his life, in his teaching, in his death, in his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again on the last day. When these things are the primary thoughts in our minds, in our lives, we will find ourselves being saved 
being restored again and again to our duties before God and man. It turns difficult duties into privileges and to blessings. Faith, as we read, is what pulled Timothy through his difficulties. Timothy's one of the first pastors in the Christian church, and he faced a very difficult time. He was afraid of ridicule. He was afraid of persecution. And Paul doesn't say to him, Timothy, you just got to toughen up. Timothy, you just got to take responsibility. Timothy, you just got to do your duty. Paul doesn't say it that way. Just as Jesus doesn't say it that way to the disciples. What does Paul say? He says, fan into flame the gift. What was that gift? He later on goes on to describe it. That gift is the gift of faith that God gives to anyone who wants it, anyone who seeks it. This is exactly what happened to Abraham as well. This is our Sunday school lesson for the adults and for the children tomorrow. Abraham called to leave his ancestral home to go to some place he had never seen before, a land God said was a promised land, and to make him the father of a great nation. And above all, to make Abraham a man who would indeed fear, love, and trust in God above all things. It was a very challenging duty, but Abraham throughout his experience in his life shows us that he accomplished that duty by faith. Habakkuk is another important prophet of the Old Testament. He lived at a time when the world was full of violence. He complained about violence, iniquity, plundering, and strife. He said, justice never goes forth. The wicked, he said, surround the righteous. Sounds a lot like our world today. A world that babbles on and on and on about being kinder and gentler. And yet every day we wake up to a world that's ever more and more dangerous. As Jesus himself said, lawlessness is abounding. Matthew chapter 24. The Lord answered Habakkuk. The proud is not right in his soul, but the just live by faith. Just like Timothy, just like Abraham, so Habakkuk would get through his trials and his troubles and his struggles by faith. He couldn't expect them to go away on their own. He couldn't lower God's standard and his expectations, but he could pray, Lord, increase our faith as the disciples did. And Jesus did. He showed by his own example and he gave us that gift of faith in his life, death and resurrection. I want to close with a famous uh, little writing of Martin Luther. It was part of his introduction to St. Paul's epistle to the Romans. This was so powerful in the mind of John Wesley and and at what he called his Aldersgate experience, uh, that he said it had a great impact on his own personal faith. This is Martin Luther's definition or description of faith. What a living, creative, active, powerful thing is faith. It is impossible that faith ever stops doing good. Faith doesn't ask whether good works are to be done, but before it is asked, it has done them. It is always active. Whoever doesn't do such works is without faith. He gropes and searches about him for faith and good works, but doesn't know what faith or good works are. 
Faith is a living, unshakable confidence in God's grace. It is so certain that someone would die a thousand times for it. This kind of trust in and knowledge of God's grace makes a person joyful, confident, and happy with regard to God and all creatures. God, increase our faith. Amen.